Chapter Seventeen of Arthur Mervyn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Arthur Mervyn by Charles Brockton Brown. Chapter Seventeen. It was now incumbent on me to seek the habitation of Thetford. To leave this house accessible to every passenger appeared to be imprudent. I had no key by which I might lock the principal door. I, therefore, bolted it on the inside, and passed through a window, the shutters of which I closed, though I could not fasten after me. This led me into a spacious court, at the end of which was a brick wall, over which I leaped into the street. This was the means by which I had formerly escaped from the same precincts. The streets, as I passed, were desolate and silent. The largest computation made the number of fugitives two-thirds of the whole people, yet, judging by the universal desolation, it seemed as if the solitude were nearly absolute. That so many of the houses were closed I was obliged to ascribe to the cessation of traffic which made the opening of their windows useless, and the terror of infection which made the inhabitants seclude themselves from the observation of each other. I proceeded to search out the house to which Estwick had directed me as the abode of Thetford. What was my consternation when I found it to be the same at the door of which the conversation took place of which I had been an auditor on the last evening? I recalled the scene of which a rude sketch had been given by the hearseman. If such were the fate of the master of the family, abounding with money and friends, what could be hoped for the moneyless and friendless Wallace? The house appeared to be vacant and silent, but these tokens might deceive. There was little room for hope, but certainty was wanting, and might perhaps be obtained by entering the house. In some of the upper rooms a wretched being might be immured, by whom the information so earnestly desired might be imparted, and to whom my presence might bring relief, not only from pestilence but famine. For a moment I forgot my own necessitous condition, and reflected not that abstinence had already undermined my strength. I proceeded to knock at the door. That my signal was unnoticed produced no surprise. The door was unlocked, and I opened. At this moment my attention was attracted by the opening of another door near me. I looked, and perceived a man issuing forth from a house at a small distance. It now occurred to me that the information which I sought might possibly be gained from one of Thetford's neighbors. This person was aged, but seemed to have lost neither cheerfulness nor vigor. He had an air of intrepidity and calmness. It soon appeared that I was the object of his curiosity. He had probably marked my deportment through some window of his dwelling, and had come forth to make inquiries into the motives of my conduct. He courteously saluted me. "'You seem,' said he, "'to be in search of someone. If I can afford you the information you want, you'll be welcome to it.' Encouraged by this address, I mentioned the name of Thetford, and added my fears that he had not escaped the general calamity. "'It is true,' said he. "'Yesterday himself, his wife, and his child were in a hopeless condition. I saw them in the evening, and expected not to find them alive this morning. As soon as it was light, however, I visited the house again, but found it empty. 
I suppose they must have died and been removed in the night. Though anxious to ascertain the destiny of Wallace, I was unwilling to put direct questions. I shuddered while I longed to know the truth. Why, said I falteringly, did he not seasonably withdraw from the city? Surely he had the means of purchasing an asylum in the country. I can scarcely tell you, he answered. Some infatuation appeared to have seized him. No one was more timorous, but he seemed to think himself safe as long as he avoided contact with infected persons. He was likewise, I believe, detained by a regard to his interest. His flight would not have been more injurious to his affairs than it was to those of others, but gain was, in his eyes, the supreme good. He intended ultimately to withdraw, but his escape today gave him new courage to encounter the perils of tomorrow. He deferred his departure from day to day till it ceased to be practicable. His family, said I, was numerous. It consisted of more than his wife and children. Perhaps these retired in sufficient season. Yes, said he. His father left the house at an early period. One or two of the servants likewise forsook him. One girl, more faithful and heroic than the rest, resisted the remonstrances of her parents and friends, and resolved to adhere to him in every fortune. She was anxious that the family should fly from danger, and would willingly have fled in their company. But while they stayed, it was her immovable resolution not to abandon them. Alas, poor girl, she knew not of what stuff the heart of Thetford was made. Unhappily, she was the first to become sick. I question much whether her disease was pestilential. It was probably a slight indisposition, which in a few days would have vanished of itself, or have readily yielded to suitable treatment. Thetford was transfixed with terror. Instead of summoning a physician to ascertain the nature of her symptoms, he called a negro and his cart from Bush Hill. In vain the neighbors interceded for this unhappy victim. In vain she implored his clemency, and asserted the lightness of her indisposition. She besought him to allow her to send to her mother, who resided a few miles in the country, who would hasten to her succor, and relieve him and his family from the danger and trouble of nursing her. The man was lunatic with apprehension. He rejected her entreaties, though urged in a manner that would have subdued a heart of flint. The girl was innocent and amiable and courageous, but entertained an unconquerable dread of the hospital. Finding entreaties ineffectual, she exerted all her strength in opposition to the man who lifted her into the cart. Finding that her struggles availed nothing, she resigned herself to despair. In going to the hospital she believed herself led to certain death and to the sufferance of every evil which the known inhumanity of its attendants could inflict. This state of mind, added to exposure to a noonday sun in an open vehicle, moving for a mile over rugged pavement, was sufficient to destroy her. I was not surprised to hear that she died the next day. This proceeding was sufficiently iniquitous, yet it was not the worst act of this man. The rank and education of the young woman might be some apology for negligence, but his clerk, a youth who seemed to enjoy his confidence, and to be treated by his family on the footing of a brother or son, fell sick on the next night and was treated in the same manner. These tidings struck me to the heart. 
A burst of indignation and sorrow filled my eyes. I could scarcely stifle my emotions sufficiently to ask, "'Of whom, sir, do you speak? Was the name of the youth—' "'His name was—' "'His name was Wallace. I see that you have some interest in his fate. He was one whom I loved.' I would have given half my fortune to procure him accommodation under some hospitable roof. His attack was violent, but still his recovery, if he had been suitably attended, was possible. That he should survive removal to the hospital and the treatment he must receive when there was not to be hoped. The conduct of Thetford was as absurd as it was wicked. To imagine the disease to be contagious was the height of folly. To suppose himself secure merely by not permitting a sick man to remain under his roof was no less stupid, but Thetford's fears had subverted his understanding. He did not listen to arguments or supplications. His attention was incapable of straying from one object. To influence him by words was equivalent to reasoning with the deaf. Perhaps the wretch was more to be pitied than hated. The victims of his implacable caution could scarcely have endured agonies greater than those which his pusillanimity inflicted on himself. Whatever be the amount of his guilt, the retribution has been adequate. He witnessed the death of his wife and child, and last night was the close of his own existence. Their sole attendant was a black woman, whom, by frequent visits, I endeavored, with little success, to make diligent in the performance of her duty. Such, then, was the catastrophe of Wallace. The end for which I journeyed hither was accomplished. His destiny was ascertained, and all that remained was to fulfill the gloomy predictions of the lovely but unhappy Susan. To tell them all the truth would be needlessly to exasperate her sorrow. Time, aided by the tenderness and sympathy of friendship, may banish her despair, and relieve her from all but the witcheries of melancholy. Having disengaged my mind from these reflections, I explained to my companion in general terms my reasons for visiting the city, and my curiosity respecting Thetford. He inquired into the particulars of my journey and the time of my arrival. When informed that I had come in the preceding evening and had passed the subsequent hours without sleep or food, he expressed astonishment and compassion. "'Your undertaking,' said he, "'has certainly been hazardous. There is poison in every breath which you draw, but this hazard has been greatly increased by abstaining from food and sleep.' My advice is to hasten back into the country, but you must first take some repose and some victuals. If you pass school kill before nightfall, it will be sufficient. I mentioned the difficulty of procuring accommodation on the road. It would be most prudent to set out upon my journey so as to reach Malverton at night. As to food and sleep, they were not to be purchased in this city. True answered my companion with quickness. They are not to be bought, but I will furnish you with as much as you desire of both, for nothing. That is my abode, continued he, pointing to the house which he had lately left. I reside with a widow lady and her daughter, who took my counsel and fled in due season. I remain to moralize upon the scene with only a faithful black, who makes my bed, prepares my coffee, and bakes my loaf." If I am sick, all that a physician can do I will do for myself, 
and all that a nurse can perform I expect to be performed by Austin. Come with me, drink some coffee, rest a while on my mattress, and then fly with my benedictions on your head. These words were accompanied by features disembarrassed and benevolent. My temper is alive to social impulses, and I accepted his invitation, not so much because I wished to eat or sleep, but because I felt reluctance to part so soon with a being who possessed so much fortitude and virtue. He was surrounded by neatness and plenty. Austin added dexterity to submissiveness. My companion, whose name I now found to be Medlicote, was prone to converse and commented on the state of the city like one whose reading had been extensive and experience large. He combated an opinion which I had casually formed respecting the origin of this epidemic, and imputed it not to infected substances imported from the east or west, but to a morbid constitution of the atmosphere, owing wholly or in part to filthy streets, airless habitations, and squalid persons. As I talked with this man, the sense of danger was obliterated. I felt confidence revive in my heart, and energy revisit my stomach. Though far from my wanted health, my sensation grew less comfortless, and I found myself to stand in no need of repose. Breakfast being finished, my friend pleaded his daily engagements as reasons for leaving me. He counseled me to strive for some repose, but I was conscious of incapacity to sleep. I was desirous of escaping as soon as possible from this tainted atmosphere, and reflected whether anything remained to be done respecting Wallace. It now occurred to me that this youth must have left some clothes and papers, and perhaps books. The property of these was now vested in the Hadwins. I might deem myself without presumption their representative or agent. Might I not take some measures for obtaining possession, or at least for the security of these articles? The house and its furniture were tenantless and unprotected. It was liable to be ransacked and pillaged by those desperate ruffians of whom many were said to be hunting for spoil, even at a time like this. If these should overlook this dwelling, Thetford's unknown successor or heir might appropriate the whole. Numberless accidents might happen to occasion the destruction or embezzlement of what belonged to Wallace, which might be prevented by the conduct which I should now pursue. Immersed in these perplexities, I remained bewildered and motionless. I was at length roused by someone knocking on the door. Austin obeyed the signal, and instantly returned, leading in Mr. Hadwin. I know not whether this unlooked-for interview excited on my part most grief or surprise. The motive of his coming was easily divined. His journey was on two accounts superfluous. He whom he sought was dead. The duty of ascertaining his condition I had assigned to myself. I now perceived and deplored the error of which I had been guilty in concealing my intended journey from my patron. Ignorant of the part I had acted, he had rushed into the jaws of this pest and endangered a life unspeakably valuable to his children and friends. I should doubtless have obtained his grateful consent to the project which I had conceived, but my wretched policy had led me into this clandestine path. Secrecy may seldom be a crime. 
A virtuous intention may produce it, but surely it is always erroneous and pernicious. My friend's astonishment at the sight of me was not inferior to my own. The causes which led to this unexpected interview were mutually explained. To soothe the agonies of his child he consented to approach the city and endeavor to procure intelligence of Wallace. When he left his house he intended to stop in the environs and hire some emissary, whom an ample reward might tempt to enter the city and procure the information which was needed. No one could be prevailed upon to execute so dangerous a service. Averse to return without performing his commission, he concluded to examine for himself. Thetford's removal to this street was known to him, but, being ignorant of my purpose, he had not mentioned this circumstance to me during our last conversation. I was sensible of the danger which Hadwin had incurred by entering the city. Perhaps my knowledge of the inexpressible importance of his life to the happiness of his daughters made me aggravate his danger. I knew that the longer he lingered in this tainted air the hazard was increased. A moment's delay was unnecessary. Neither Wallace nor myself were capable of being benefited by his presence. I mentioned the death of his nephew as a reason for hastening his departure. I urged him in the most vehement terms to remount his horse and to fly. I endeavored to preclude all inquiries respecting myself or Wallace, promising to follow him immediately and answer all his questions at Malverton. My importunities were enforced by his own fears, and, after a moment's hesitation, he rode away. The emotions produced by this incident were, in the present critical state of my frame, eminently hurtful. My morbid indications suddenly returned. I had reason to ascribe my condition to my visit to the chamber of Maravegli, but this and its consequences to myself, as well as the journey of Hadwin, were the fruits of my unhappy secrecy. I had always been accustomed to perform my journeys on foot. This, on ordinary occasions, was the preferable method, but now I ought to have adopted the easiest and swiftest means. If Hadwin had been acquainted with my purpose, he would not only have approved, but he would have allowed me the use of a horse. These reflections were rendered less pungent by the recollection that my motives were benevolent, and that I had endeavored the benefit of others by means which appeared to me most suitable. Meanwhile, how was I to proceed? What hindered me from pursuing the footsteps of Hadwin with all the expedition which my uneasiness of brain and stomach would allow? I conceived that to leave anything undone with regard to Wallace would be absurd. His property might be put under the care of my new friend. But how was it to be distinguished from the property of others? It was probably contained in trunks which were designated by some label or mark. I was unacquainted with his chamber, but, by passing from one to the other, I might finally discover it. Some token directing my footsteps might occur, though at present unforeseen. Actuated by these considerations, I once more entered Thetford's habitation. I regretted that I had not procured the counsel or attendance of my new friend, but some engagements, the nature of which he did not explain, occasioned him to leave me as soon as breakfast was finished. End of chapter 17